Libby's back. This is awesome. I used to do so much prep for these. Now I feel like I don't know. Yeah, you don't I'm need prep, anymore. girl. You don't need prep. You're you're <laughs> We don't need no prep. It's 2021. You survived uh, COVID. No. I don't need no prep. Yeah. No prep. Just a mask. That's it. Oh, I see. It's all you need. It's so good to hear your voice again. Thank you. Yes, Lyndon, guess who's here? Hello. Hello. What's up? Nothing. I'm trying to, I haven't eaten yet, so I grabbed a handful of grape tomatoes so I could try and eat something before the podcast. That sounds so depressing. Should we push it back to that? And we have a show title. (laughs) We have a show title, Grape Tomatoes. Grape Tomatoes. I I don't really prefer to talk about exes, Uh, so, you know. I'd say move on with life. Yeah, see, that is the mature position to have. But unfortunately, <laughs> CNN just can't quit you. CNN. Oh, but I can quit CNN. <laughs> I think a lot of people have quit <laughs> CNN. And a lot I of people, right. and I have a, a very person dear to me who has just decided to delete all of the political podcasts she listens to. And there's a void now. And uh, we have a friend in common that tweets on East Coast time uh, about the latest outrage in terms of what's happening. And now without the outrage and without Donald Trump being in office and the impeachment acquittal from a week ago. I mean, Lyndon, do you want to talk about the impeachment acquittal? Uh, What do we want to say? I mean... His approval rating in the Republican Party is still above 50%. So all their sorry asses are worried about being primaried. Not only primaried, but out fundraised as well. You know, that, you know, Donald Trump still can raise a lot of money for the party, but so can Mitch McConnell. Surprisingly, Mitch McConnell voted to impeach former President Trump, and he uh, sided with the uh, majority. Uh, uh, I think the the vote was 53 to 47. No, 57, 43. 57, 43. Seven, seven Republicans flipped. So, and one of those seven being Mitch McConnell, because Mitch McConnell sees... No, McConnell, McConnell voted to acquit. No, I thought he voted to convict. No, he voted to acquit. No, he voted to acquit, and then he gave a long speech about how uh, how horrible Trump was, so... Wow. A lot of consistency there, yeah. Yeah, oh. I can see why you're confused. It's not it's not unusual that you would be confused by that. I am confused. That. He did his job. He he tricked a former Hill staffer into thinking he voted guilty, Libby. So he did what it's exactly right. <laughs> he worked his magic. He worked that 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 magic. People are still talking about Trump, or at least CNN is still trying to talk about Trump because God knows if they don't have Trump, they got nothing to talk about. Well, right? they can complain about. Joe Biden pronouncing who Gentile's name wrong. That that's uh that that's all that's all Joe's giving him these days. I mean, it's interesting because actually, see what CNN could do is actually talk about the news. Um, There's something going on in Texas. Well, I, exactly. <laughs> like it doesn't have. It's a weird thing that it that they're sort of stuck in this like hamster wheel loop of of like having to only talk about. Uh, political races when there there's a lot more news that is going on you know like it, it doesn't have to be that way and I think I think that's one of the problems 
you know, when it comes to your friend George or, you know, CNN at large or a lot of people right now, there's just not a lot of imagination. Um, if, if you're not really sure what else is going on, there's you just have to kind of be open to finding out what that is instead of thinking that you have to stay in the same in the same lane um, to accomplish anything. You know, like it doesn't we don't just have to talk about this one thing in order to accomplish change. So I think that there's there's a there's a lack of imagination maybe going on with 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 what else is possible. And we shouldn't really like let people off the hook for that. We should probably, you know, sort of poke at it a little bit and be like, well, okay, I understand you're frustrated about this, but like what else is happening around you or like with your friends or in your neighborhood? You know, like what else is going on? Cuz there's plenty. There is plenty. And, and CNN could, could actually evolve from here. I, you know, I hope they do. Um, but I certainly am not tuning in and, and waiting to find out. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll find out on TikTok if they've, if they've caught up to speed. Well, that's absolutely true. Most people get their news from TikTok or Facebook now. I mean, it, to an extent, like TikTok has been... Uh, has, it was is really the one thing that I've said over and over to many many friends. Like, if I don't know what my life would have been like during the pandemic without TikTok, <laughs> it just it uh, resonated in such a way and took off because it was actually very different from Facebook um, and very different from Instagram. Instagram kind of being seen as this like slick, um, superficial at people's superficial look at people's lives and their experiences, um, and then. Facebook sort of being the like longhand version, right? The the place where people get to let out all their feelings or describe all the things or post articles and any of this sort of like long. L- Libby, you're, you're going you're going away to Radio Land. Well, almost, you know. And, but, no, no, your your microphone's fading out. Oh no! Uh, are we any better now? Yeah, we're better now. Okay, sorry about that. Um, so. Uh, but I mean, to, to, the reason I got confused there is because I think that that's why also podcasts got a lot more popular is TikTok and podcasts and, and like those kinds of um, media where you have direct interaction with with a person in their voice, be it on Clubhouse, podcast, Clubhouse, or, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> or, uh, you know, or direct interaction, whether, you know, on TikTok, it's very raw. You get these very even though a lot of the videos are highly edited or have plenty of filters on them, a lot of them don't, especially in the beginning, they didn't. It was very raw. It was very real. So um, I'm not surprised at all that that's where people are going um, now for their news because you feel a little bit more like you're experiencing things, you know, quote, like on the ground, so to speak. Um, You know, especially when it came down to all of the BLM movement, you know, you get to see people actually in the crowds describing the moment and what was happening it it was like reporters from back in the day as opposed to having a panelist you know talking head talk to you about it on cnn you'd have people actually on the ground experiencing it it's i mean so it it doesn't surprise me that we we might be using these new mediums for news but they're using a lot of the same tactics that got us hooked on the news in the first place whether it be radio or or tv well, there are definitely podcasts that are dedicated to certain topics, and you know we try to engage all topics and as many topics as possible. So there's one topic in particular that we can talk about 
which is uh, the coronavirus and the vaccines for the coronavirus, um, Lyndon um, is in downtown Los Angeles. And Lyndon, you've actually seen a change in the way people are behaving in downtown Los Angeles because a, a lot more people are getting the vaccine, right? Uh, what? <laughs> well, are, are there more <laughs> restaurants open? Are, are there more restaurants open in your neighborhood now? Um, oh, for sure. I mean, I would say, I mean, I'm in Miracle Mile and in Miracle Mile, some of the restaurants on Wilshire definitely opened back up and Arts District, the outdoor seating, um, near my co-working space is open back up in terms of restaurants with outdoor seating. So yeah, I mean, definitely the higher traffic dining areas are still not anywhere near they were pre-pandemic, but they've definitely bounced back with um, not just the vaccinations, but also just there's a lot less cases right now. So it's almost more near September, October, but with a more optimistic tinge because we have a vaccine and it's getting rolled out versus September, October. We were still somewhat in the dark about how long it was all going to take. My understanding is that February was actually, or January, um, there, you know, we're only halfway through February at this point, that it, like, the second worst month of the COVID experience throughout the last year, you know, fully, I guess it's almost been a full year now. Uh, so, so I, I feel like the, um, excitement over the numbers going down is a little bit, uh, premature. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's, I think it's good that people are hopeful. I think hope is important, but it does feel a little bit like, um, everybody thinks we're right around the corner in like, in terms of a number of weeks. And, and I don't know that we're in a number of weeks situation, you know, especially knowing that, uh, Biden isn't anticipating the full rollout of the vaccine to 300 million until July. Um, so, you know, as much as I can't actually speak to whether or not things are changing in our neighborhood, because me and my family, we're, we're basically still in lockdown. We, we don't leave our house unless we have to. Both of us can work from home. Um, our kids go to school from home. So uh, we, we don't really know how other people are acting out in the outside world. That'll be like kind of a shock to us. <laughs> But uh, I do notice, like, you know, as we were talking about social media, I do notice a lot of people kind of, um, you know, going out more often, going grocery shopping themselves more often, uh, making the trips to Target when they need to pick something up or whatever it is they need to do without as much trepidation. I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a pessimist, and I'm, I'm always worried about those other strands. So, so our family will remain, you know, a little bit, hyper vigilant, but, um, I think that there's, it's sort of a a fine balance between like hope and like kind of getting a little bit, uh, reckless, a little bit reckless, uh, in these, cause we're not, we're not like down, down, down yet. We're heading down, but a downward slope doesn't mean like over. That's all. No. And I wasn't trying to imply like we won't have one more spike, but since I don't know, this feels a lot like fall did. And even if we just get a couple good months, um, I'm definitely going to savor them after uh, how November looked like, oh, this is the worst. And then December looked like it was the worst. And then the first half of January looked like it was the worst. And then all of a sudden, 
the governor reopened everything and it looked premature. But to his credit, the IC new numbers were just diving down like mid January. And we went from a situation of all of the after effects of the holidays wrapping up at the same time as everybody, I think, was pretty um, funneled indoors the first couple of weeks of January, at least in California. I know the federal the 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 U.S. numbers are different. I, I don't even track the U.S. numbers. I mean, I know the deaths are around half a million now, but I, I don't. I think cases didn't slow down at the same trajectory they did in California. I just know when it went down, it went down relatively quick. But to what you said, Libby, the uh, the number is still above what we consider good in the fall. Um, but the trajectory is quite nice when you look at the graph. No, there is uh, an opportunity for optimism right now as people are getting the vaccine. I mean, my parents got the vaccine, so I'm very thankful for that. And um, there was a time when I didn't see my son for a while because it was just so crazy here in Los Angeles with the infection rate. So now things have somewhat normalized and... um, there is a little bit of freedom, but I always use this term, and Lyndon's heard me use this term before, the before times, that I, I can now at least optimistically look forward to the after times. You know, what what will the after times look like? And it's having a sense of community with the podcast and with both of you, and thank you, Libby, for coming back on the podcast, that we had this community to keep our sanity so we could talk about the things that were important to us and, you know, remain friends, which was the whole purpose of the Respublica podcast. So what is it, Libby, that you um, foresee happening in the next uh, you know, in, couple in of months? Times. In the after times, <laughs> yes. What will the after times uh, look like for you? Will your kids go back to school or will you homeschool them? You know, so um, last Friday, we actually had to turn in our, um, for for people that don't have little kids, every year you have to, um, like, it feels really crazy in advance, but we have to uh, let the schools know our intent to return to school. And that happens regardless of COVID. It's just, you have to let the schools know whether or not you have a, a student entering their system. So um, ours was due last Friday, and in our intent to return, we had to put whether or not we planned to send them to class or planned to send them to distance learning, which is what my kids are in now. And um, they were taking the temperature, basically, for whether or not to continue distance learning um, through the next year, because the way our school system works is when you sign up for it, you have to sign up for the entire year. It's not like you sign up month to month and then, you know, at some point your kids go back in. So if we opt to do um, distance learning, we would have to then do distance learning for the whole 2021-22 uh, uh, school year. And so that's, that's a little, it's a little weird in terms of after, like in terms of predicting like what our normal life will look like. Cause we have to keep in mind that there are like institutions and systems in place that need a lot of, you know, time to plan. Um, so without really knowing what's coming in the next couple of months and if, if we have to solidify and, you know, you know, put the rubber stamp on that, it's, it's um, tough. We hope to send our kids back to school next year. 
Um, we're going to, you know, sort of plan around that with a with a very hardcore plan B in place if we need to do distance learning again. But interestingly, I don't I I feel like the after times one of the most uh, robust pieces of data that we kind of learned during COVID in my mind, and I think in a lot of businesses' minds, was how much productivity can happen when people have flexible schedules. And so I think that, you know, we might be looking at a lot more work from home situations, or at least split, where you can go in some days of the week, but not all days of the week. Um, I still think we have not mastered the, like, this meeting could have been a memo. like situation because there's a lot of zoom meetings that probably could have just been an email um so so unfortunately we didn't figure that one quite out in the last year i think that's going to continue to be a thing plenty of meetings that could have been an email um but i think because we figured out how to work from home and that companies saw you know the same if or sometimes even better productivity when their employees could work from home um, and considering that that was during and under the pressure and stress of COVID, right? So it wasn't as if it was just like any old, like we tried a year and everybody just got to try and work from home and it was like normal life. It was the stress of COVID and everything else and they had to work from home and there was still high productivity. So I, I feel like we're going to see a real shift in what our... Uh, businesses look like and what our companies look like and what our downtowns look like. Um, I think it it kind of let for a little bit of um, real imagination kind of happen in in testing of things that people like didn't feel like they could test in a real robust way. They they got the chance to do that this year. And I learned at some point um, that I believe it's at Central Park in New York was built and created like right after um, the first pand- the uh, what was the one that happened in the 1900s 1918 um, the Spanish, Spanish flu. flu the Spanish yes. flu and Central Park was created because the people of New York which you know had always been a very densely populated area densely populated city uh, even at that time, they needed space. To, they needed space to go outside and be outside without being around other people. So they created this enormous park. It became part of the city planning. And so I, I feel like you know that that same sort of thing. Our neighborhoods are being looked at a little differently. You know how people maybe will need more walkable cities. Um, it's just very. You know, there's going to be less congestion on the roads in theory. I mean, those. I don't know if you remember, but like. The first couple months here, living in, you know, L.A. area and seeing the roads and freeways empty, that's like, that will like forever be burned into my brain. Uh, so I feel like the aftertimes, there's some real interesting things that are going to happen around um, people's work schedules. What I think, I, I just wonder, I, and, I, and it's one of those things that always like late at night pops into my head is, I don't know what's going to happen to the handshake. It's a strange, it's a strange thing to think about the aftertimes and like no handshakes and no, I think know, it'll like come I back. To, I, probably. I mean, but it, it, it's going to be one of those things that I feel like there might be, you know, 
like when my grandkids come and sit next to me or whatever and they're talking about it and I'm be like, you know, back in my day, we used to handshake all the time and it'd be this thing that's sort of like intermittent or maybe my generation doesn't handshake as freely as Gen Z or Gen, you know, what Gen Alpha, you know, like, so it's, it could be a really different kind of, um, the way that people interact in a social situation could change. And I, I don't know what that looks like. Uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting, but yeah, no, the, I mean like the aftertimes, I'm, I'm very hopeful about the aftertimes. I feel like, um, a lot of, of creative thinking did happen. I think we missed a lot of opportunities too. I think we missed a lot of opportunities to really talk about the education system and figure a lot of things out. Um, because there was so many delays with getting, there was just a lot of problems that happened uh, in that space. And unfortunately, it didn't allow for a lot of creative space because it was just constant emergency mindset. Um, but but I think, you know, overall, this was a, a wild, like, if you remove all of the, if you remove all of the uh, trauma and the the really horrible horribleness that was the last year, all the dying, all of that, and you look at what, you know, the other effects were on society, um, it, it could be a very interesting thing coming out of this, like how people are able to, you know, start up things, what their value sets are, what's important, you know, whether or not people were able to figure out, you know, how much time they need to really kind of feel sane. Uh, so, so, I mean, like, I, I like I said, I, I'm kind of hopeful about it. I think it'll be a really interesting thing. I don't know that people can like easily predict what's going to happen, but what we have seen in the past that after, uh, substantial, um, social, you know, events, um, that a lot of times good comes out of it. So, you know, they always say like, it has to get darker before it gets, the light comes or I'm not, whatever that is. And uh, I feel like we, we might be in that kind of transitional space. Well, we are in a transitional space because society is going to be different. In the days of, you know, high-rise office buildings with 4,000 of your closest friends are gone. You know, only because you can't really rely on everyone following a mask protocol. You know, and uh, it's a circular... The air conditioning is circulating throughout the whole building. So if someone's sick, you know, on the 33rd floor, guess what? You're probably going to breathe it in on the 17th floor. And and until um, property management companies, you know, invest the resources in getting filters in those office buildings, I don't really believe anyone's going to go back into those office buildings willingly. But there are people that are working in those office buildings now. And God bless them. But, oh sure. Yeah, it's going to be a lot like Lyndon. Lyndon's got this co-working space, and he has his own suite, and you know he's safe, right, Lyndon? Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, nobody was going <laughs> November, December, January, so I was in there by myself. I mean, I turned everything on lights wise and then locked up, so I wasn't too worried about uh, the ghost of the warehouse giving me the COVIDs, and I was glad to get out of the house. Um, and then, I mean, I've seen a few people in the last couple of weeks, but basically we just, 
all have our own rooms and we're unmasked in our rooms. If somebody comes in, we put on a mask. If we're in a common area, we wear a mask. Um, and I think that's probably going to be, I don't know if it is for other places, but I think that's just kind of going to be our etiquette. I mean, obviously if somebody's sick, like you're not going to come in. Um, that's one other thing, Libby, I think that we'll see at least for the next five years, maybe not forever, but I think there'll be a little bit more freedom to uh, work from home due to being sick, or at least not come in if it's a job you can't do from home. Cause I think oh, yeah. that will stick for a while where people are paranoid about you coming in and bringing something into the environment. Right. I mean, but even that, like, so, so just thinking about that, that is a luxury if you don't have kids. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you have kids, I mean, like the, the, the question, one thing that I, I will say that's been really bizarre to me is that teachers haven't been um, higher on the, the food chain for getting the vaccine. Um, that's That's been really bizarre, uh, especially knowing that, you know, so many teachers are in the age range that it's dangerous. But uh, would you put them relatively... above 65 plus? I mean, to me, 65 plus deserved it before che- teachers. Oh, no. I mean, like, I think, well, deserve is like... <laughs> It well, I don't want to kill to... people. And sixty-five plus is like, right. hey, they're going to no, die. I understand. It isn't related. I understand, and I, I think I'd put them above like Ted Cruz, but like, there's, <laughs> there's a certain element of, um, of, of this weird urgency to get all the kids back into school, and when you, like, even today, I was reading um, a Facebook thread, and somebody posted the question, um, if the vaccine is available to you. Will you take it? And there were 204. This is a person who doesn't normally get like a ton of traffic. This wasn't somebody famous. It was just a random friend of mine. It had 248 comments. And overwhelmingly, the answer was no. And usually there was exclamation points involved. (coughs) Pardon me. So the strange thing to me is thinking that there's um, going to be a, a pretty, I mean, like, not a tiny, like, probably a relatively decent size of America that opts out. And um, so the idea that you can, like, just go back to work and wear your mask or whatever, when you know your mask doesn't actually protect you, you know, fully, and you're not going to, like you said, you might take it off if nobody else is in the room, but that air conditioning is going, or if they walk into that space and you've been in that space breathing that air that whole time, it, then that all that's contaminated. You know, it's like it's one of those weird things that um, it it feels a little bit. Uh, it just feels really weird to be sent to to even talk about like sending my kids back to school or that everybody should. But I also know the privilege of um, being able to attend to my kids while they're at home. You know, like it, I, I understand the need to get kids back in school, but it's this idea of it not being some sort of mandated vaccine the same way that when my kids go to school every year they have to take um they have to get a doctor's note and and show that they're up to date on all their vaccines i hope COVID is included in that bundle that they have to show like before that you know because because when i think about the number of parents that are going to just say no and the infants or whoever else that are exposed or the grandparents are exposed it just it, it seems it seems um, like we haven't gotten to the point where we're talking about like real um, 
you know, the, the reality of the aftertimes. Like, what happens when July comes and we have the 300 million vaccines, but only 200 million people take them? And well, between that and infections, you'll still be at 70%. I mean, we really only need 60% of the country to take the vaccine because 10% of the country has been infected. So, you know, obviously, ideally, the number would be higher. But that's something where Libby, like, I don't know if you or George is going to love this, but I would like from a political angle them to start legalizing and providing more incentives to people who have been vaccinated, whether it's you can go to Staples Center and watch a Lakers game if you've been vaccinated, or you can go indoors to a restaurant if you've been vaccinated. Now, obviously, it's 95 or 99 percent, but we roll that dice with every other vaccine movement right yeah, now. But and I here's, think it's, it's, I mean, we can all agree that we believe in math, right? Two plus yeah. two equals four. So there isn't enough vaccine to create that incentive. And this uh, winter storm. That's there gri- isn't like, sorry, there is a staple center. There is God a staple center, but there aren't enough vaccines. Been vaccinated. But there no, aren't. But if you just did healthcare workers that got vaccinated, you could fill up staple center fucking 10, 10, 11, 12 times. The whole phenomenon of healthcare workers being gun shy about getting oh the God, vaccine, yeah. about not wanting the vaccine. You and I both know people in the medical field. They got the vaccine, but they have coworkers, don't trust the science, but they took a hell of a lot more biology and chemistry than you and I have. And how is it that we believe the science and they don't? And that's uh, truly well, a phenomenon. Every doctor, every doctor I know is taking the vaccine. So let me draw the line at nurses versus doctors there because well, I don't have a single doctor that opted out. I I'm I'm would never suggest that nurses are are not as confident as doctors or not as school. Like I, I don't even I don't think it's even about that. I think the matter is uh, conspiracy theory or indoctrinization happens to people who are in those environments. Period. Like it doesn't matter. Like if you or I lived in a household that that was like what was fed to us over and over again. That was what we saw on TV, and that was what our social media looked like, and that's what the videos we watched, and that's what the the Netflix documentaries we decided to watch were all about, we would be just as prone to believe XYZ, doesn't matter whether it's vaccines or it's QAnon or it's whatever, or Scientology, I don't care what it is. If you are in that environment, then you are prone to believe that thing. Let's, you know, y'all know I'm an atheist. Let's look at Christianity. So there's like, there's a lot of, you know, where you are and, and who you're around will influence how how you perceive things. And the, the fact is, is that we have a lot of, just as he said, a huge anti-vax movement going on. And a lot of that feeds on itself. And um, it doesn't really, th- th- that's the real problem. It's, it's sort of like, this is the symptom. The, the problem is that we are perpetuating, you know, revenue streams and allow we have we have like no policy around what is you know viable information and what isn't there's there's plenty of regulation about around news programs and what what journalism is but now all of the things that we consider the quote news considers themselves entertainment companies and they don't have to release anything you know there's it there's no policy around that so we have we have a real like truth problem um, 
and and I think trying to like claim that it you know the fault of the those that are who I really who are victimized by it um even when it's you know your awful uncle joe or your you know the worst karen in the world they they are the victims of being in really crappy social circles and really crap you know having fed the algorithm the wrong things to get real information so you know that that's sort of the real the, the crux of it all in trying to like blame those individuals or blame, um, you know, people for being dumb. It's, it's sort of like, well, it, I don't know. It, it feels disingenuous and it also feels like a, a, a cop out from, from actually attacking the issue. And if, if we can't be talking about the aftertime and, and those real nuts and bolts of like, okay, well, how do we make sure that people can travel safely or how do we make sure that teachers can go into work safely? And what are the precautions that we have to put in place? And if it's not, you have to be vaccinated in order to do X, then what Then what is it? And what do we have to do? And if the problem is education and the problem is information, then we need to actually take a look at that and say, how do we fix that? And put like the full might of the U.S. whatever infrastructure to figure that out. If we need to cipher some money away from defense to actually figure out how to educate our population about very key health issues um, to save our entire population, then then that's what we need to do. As opposed to being like, well, some people are going to believe bad things. Wah, wah. Like that's, that's just not acceptable. It's, it's, it's lazy. I agree. And I, I, maybe my, my sight was too short-sighted saying this, but that's why I also think we need to offer some carrots to go with the sticks. And we have enough people vaccinated. And like I said, it doesn't have to be a Lakers game, but if you filled a stadium with healthcare workers that were all documented as vaccinated more than a month ago, to me, it would be a big statement to say, hey, look what happens when you get vaccinated. Oh, sure. A stimulus check. Make it easier. Make it simple. <laughs> like you can, you can, you can pay people to take the check. And take the shot. That too. I mean, I just, we, we need some sticks and carrots. And it's just, right now, it seems like we're almost ambivalent to whether people have it or not. And then we have all these rules, whether you're vaccinated or not. And I understand some of that's about herd immunity. But there needs to be some loosening of the rules for people who have been documented vaccinated for more than a month. So we can prove to people who say, see, it doesn't do anything. There needs to be some kind of blowback to that argument. Well, until there's enough vaccine in production, it makes rational sense that people over 65, which are most likely to die and succumb to the disease, got the vaccine, the vaccine first. Mm-hmm. And then healthcare workers. The first bump in the road is healthcare workers that aren't willing to take the vaccine, especially in Los Angeles. It's kind of weird. The third bump in the road is that we're not making vaccines available to teachers so that we can reopen schools. Unless teachers are vaccinated, it makes no sense to reopen schools. Absolutely. Okay. Third. Or at least compel them to to go back in at the very, very minimum. uh, LA Unified uh, School District and the uh, teachers union both agree we're not opening up schools until we get the teachers vaccinated. And I think it's the first time that labor and management have agreed on something outside, you know, the, the purview of 
yes, we need to reopen schools, but we need this precondition. And the precondition is that teachers need to be vaccinated. Now, once there's enough vaccine in supply, then it opens up the door for other workers, like grocery workers, first responders, and then people that aren't 65 and older, working adults can get the vaccine. And that I don't see happening until like June or July, like the height of the summer. And I think that's when you can create the incentive program. You create the incentive program around the summertime. The only way you can attend mass sporting events at the very beginning is if you're vaccinated. You know, incentivize young people to get vaccinated. I, I agree, but like my only point is like, if you do it now when nobody else can do it, and I'm not saying it even has to be every game, if you just have one where you really verify the vaccination information and you do it just like once a month or something, just something that says to even healthcare workers who are already denying it, just some kind of proof like, hey, this is what you're missing out on and something that just go ahead and, and streams into public consciousness of an incentive. I, I think it's probably hard to do it every game, but I, my point was we need to show something because there is a vaccinated population now that's not super small. So you can have some kind of mass event to show, hey, this is the, this is the carrot. Well, we're going to have to... I mean, it could be a concert for Nickelback, you know, if, if a bunch of Georgias want to go to a concert. <laughs> we don't know, man. We don't listen to Nickelback, bro. We listen to Motley Crue. I think that would backfire. Yeah, we, we, we listen to Motley Crue and uh, Poison, you know. So, yeah, we listen to real metal, not fake metal. All right? Oh. Scorpions. Yeah, we just need to produce more vaccine. There's not enough vaccine in production right now. There's certainly not enough to vaccinate everyone in Los Angeles, which is, has the highest demand in the country vaccination site in Dodger Stadium. And they have another one that opened up in Cal State LA. And soon the SoFi Stadium, where the LA Rams play, is going to be a vaccination site just for LA USD teachers. But they don't have enough vaccine. And this storm in the Midwest has limited the amount of vaccine that can actually travel across the country because the weather is so bad. So we are uh, we're at the mercy of um, events out of our control. Oh, George, this is true. Yeah, I've missed you. So it much. is true. It is true. <laughs> uh, who's going to who's going to bankroll all these uh, Teslas for uh, working we're class people? We're tangenting. I we can we can do a whole climate change pod no we're not going to do it we're not going to do it we're not going to do a a climate change pod you know because it's it's fake i thought we talk about all topics yeah we will yo um uh, climate change is real but you know this green economy that john Kerry wants well john Kerry might die young if the green economy does become a reality so uh he might windsurf and just get swept away so i mean i i think it's important and it's a priority but i do think it, a very Republican-sounding solution, if they would admit that climate change existed, is burning out the carbon that's in the atmosphere. Because that it, there is like testing that that can be done, and we're not going to shame everybody in the world, even if we could shame everybody in America into acting more eco-friendly. We need to also take carbon that's already in the atmosphere because it's too late with the number we're at. So that's the part that grinds my gears is that there's no push or incentive towards 
getting the carbon out of the air that's already in the air. Well, I mean, even going to your Well, point, you can get the carbon out of the air. You just plant more trees. Part. Yeah, but there's more. I mean, you should do that, as, I mean, always. But there's also machines and stuff they tested. I know Bill Gates, um, his, like, environmental, like, I don't know what it's called. But I know they have tested and they've had success on a small scale of doing that at a rate that's more efficient than trees. That being said, obviously, we're not trying to dump trees. But, okay, I just want to say that the first thing that you said, Lennon, was the first thing that Republicans could do is admit that climate change is real. And so, like, I, I, and, I and then we got into, like, what, what the actual, like, steps they could take. But I think that that goes back to the other point of the, the lack of, like, actual information and truth being of, uh, of value these days, right? We're still in a space where we're debating this, and we still have leaders that debate this. And so, you know, once again, just look at like, here's another instance of where it's biting us in the ass because we're not actually um, making truth a priority and making it that, you know, you can't hold office or you can't do the, you cannot, uh, you know, spread lies in such a way that actually hurts people the same way that you can't yell fire in a movie theater. You should not be able to be on the Senate floor and deny climate change. There's just not, it, it's, it's the same idea. You're hurting way too many people. You're hurting way too much. Your, your reach is too far. Um, and so, you know, I think that there's a matter of like, yes, there's a lot of different things we can do and we can talk about whether or not, you know, it's just the elitists and the things that they can do or whether it's about uh, protecting the um minority communities that tend to have the most environmental pollution because they have the least amount of representation and the least amount of dollars to throw at politicians. Like there's a, there's a lot of things that have to do with, you know, climate change and the environmental protections that are needed. But the reality is we're still back at square one of needing to admit that things are true, that one COVID exists, that it's not just a big lie (laughs) and that, you know, people have died from it. And two, the vaccine is safe. You should get the vaccine. And three, that climate change is real. Like, ju- if those three things were accepted as truths, a lot would be very different in the United States, period. A l- I, people, people would be alive today. I mean, we're all old enough, too, that, like, could you imagine during 9-11 if mainstream Democrats would say, would say it was an inside job or it never happened? And that George Bush either coordinated it or it didn't exist. And I mean, obviously, there were some wackos on the fringes that said that. But like what we're getting from Republicans is mainstream Republicans essentially saying the equivalent of 9-11 was an inside job or 9-11 or it didn't never happen. happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those people that didn't really die in the towers like that just didn't happen. Uh, it was, you know, a David Copperfield trick to the skyline. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's or like, let's say Texas. What's happened in Texas? didn't happen they're not really freezing to death that's just doctored images by the liberal media <laughs> i mean right. it, 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 the, the the ability to lie has been monetized and incentivized and it's scary uh, like you said until we find a way to disincentivize that and demonetize that we're pretty screwed well, I don't, well we're, um, until we get here's 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 the summation. Hold on, that. hold on. No, other countries don't matter because other countries can't do what we can do. All right. Um, if we don't get COVID right, if we don't roll out the vaccine, 
to people under 65 in a timely fashion, there will be no aftertimes. And then, um, because if we can't get COVID right, if we can't get the vaccine rolled out to young people, to people that are actually working in the economy, then there's no hope to ever tackle climate change. Because the same coordination that will be necessary to get the vaccines delivered and get the vaccine administered and then creating a public information campaign to make people aware that they can get the vaccine will be the same amount of coordination to get people on board for a climate change action plan. Because anyone who's intelligent agrees that climate change is real. Okay, If you deny that, that climate change is not real, then you're, you don't understand basic science. In the last 25 years, we've pumped more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere than at any other time in industrialized history. And the rainforest is shrinking, and the, and the Amazonian rainforest is the lungs of the planet, which actually cleans a lot of the carbon that's emitted worldwide. And it's beginning to affect weather patterns. This deep freeze in the Midwest is a result mm-hmm. of weather patterns changing. This drought that we now have in California is a result of weather patterns changing. Okay? The entire West Coast being on fire? Yeah. The result of, you know, Australia being on fire? Yeah, because it's not raining anymore. You know, we can we can actually, in our lifetimes, I'm 46 years old, I can actually remember when it used to rain in California during the winter. It Now it only rains like three weeks out of the year, late February into March. Uh, Christmas we usually get a good rain, but it's like every third year we get the amount of rain that we used to get every year. Like we'll have one good rainy season every three years which but even the rainy scary. season quote-unquote is shorter it's like it used to be you know a couple weeks where it would rain one day and then not rain and then drizzle and then not you know whatever but now it's like if there's three days that's a season that's a season of rain like that's it that's that's the winter season of rain we you just missed it just went by yeah and the republican response to climate change is ted cruz dipping out and taking his daughters to mexico Yo, really, that's what people are going to remember from this Texas deep freeze, how counties in Texas weren't prepared because their energy sector is completely deregulated. So there's no coordination between the public utilities and the junior senator from Texas dipping out and going to Mexico, taking his teenage daughters to Mexico. How that all makes sense, I don't know. Because Mexico's a freaking crazy place. Well, no. I mean, like, the energy grid all around is is going to be probably the next. I, I feel for anybody who's planning to run for office on the municipal level, whether it be city or county, like, the energy grid is, is everything. Um, because what, you know, what we're seeing is, not only the need to like update it for very, like a huge you know array of reasons but also the need to be prepared for shutdowns because those are also going to happen even if you put in place like tomorrow hey we're going to we're going to fix it all up and, and update everything you're still going to need because we're we're now in a period where extreme weather is a thing 
and there will be a transition time till we get a perfect or not even perfect there won't be such a thing but like a better energy grid and energy system there's going to be this in between decades or you know however long it could take uh where we're going to have to have leaders who are putting X amount of energy, a certain portion of their energy, just into emergency planning. And while Texas is completely, you know, is out of energy and is frozen, uh, on the flip side, when the fires started happening um, last year in California, when the big Thomas fire happened, since that date in in where I am, uh, which is Ventura County, the um, a city nearby, Simi Valley, has been hit with more uh, preemptive emergency or power shutoff than anywhere else in the state. They have been in and out of power over and over and over and over again when there's no fires. L- literally, just the last couple of months, over and over and over and over again, where some people were going like four or five days without power, and there was no emergency in the neighborhood. It was just the preemptive because there was wind. So I mean, like there's. There's going to be across the country various, whether it be flooding or snow or fire or, you know, wind, whatever it is, all of our weather patterns are so out of whack and so extreme now. A huge portion of our energy in terms of the leadership, and this is at the local level because while federal stuff is all great and dandy, it's the local level that actually executes these plans um, and sets up the preparedness teams. They have to be focused on, okay, when our county in Texas is completely powerless, how are, what is our mobilization when there's 12 feet of snow or whatever? How are we going to get food to people? How are we going to make sure that the elderly, do we know where the elderly live? Do we have a system in place to check on, in on or get those people out? Like, and there just isn't that yet. There's, there's not a real deep, rich infrastructure on emergency planning we we seem to always be playing catch up is what I'm seeing, you know, over and over and over again, because none of us are willing to confront this, this very real climate shift and weather shifts. Oh, we I can tell you, yet. I can tell you the strategy. It's blame the libs with phantom issues. Like that's what the governor of Texas was wasting his time on instead of worrying about his constituents was going on Fox News and blaming AOC for the Green New Deal, a, a thing that never passed in a state that has less than 10% wind wind power, but yeah, he blamed windmills and said it would have been even worse if the Green New Deal came through. But while arguing environmentalists control the state, which obviously is not true, like that's the strategy is deflection and whataboutisms on Mm -hmm. your own little channel and hope that nobody pushes back. And frankly, it, you know this, Libby, since you, this was what you did for a living. As long as voters are as myopic as they have been for the last, I don't know how long, as long as they only look at the last few months, I don't know what's going to matter in 2024 to Ted Cruz. It should, but I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if it'll matter. He's oh, no, still it, won't. Re-election. It, it, it wouldn't. It, it won't matter. Yeah. That, so, that won't matter. Like, it's, it's it, you know, it, it really, it, what matters is more than anything. Like, if, it, if, if there's anything that we should have learned from Georgia, is what matters is what people are doing in the background in terms of mobilization and like how organized are people in the background what the leaders are doing in the latest like thing that you know like how i i frankly don't care where ted cruz is i just don't care he's not good no matter where he is like it's not good it doesn't matter i don't care where he is 
and the the it doesn't it, like the latest news blip about you know why Trump is awful or why Pelosi is awful or whatever. None of that actually matters. What matters is what's happening in the background on the ground. And like, do you have you know strong organizations in place to to you know educate and mobilize people? Because the truth is, is like it wasn't because there were you know it wasn't because Ossoff or Warwick were like these amazing candidates who just inspired everybody to all bloody hell and like we couldn't get. No, that, that's not what happened. What happened is that there was, like, intense work going on in the background, like, for four years to change Georgia's landscape. That's what happened. It has nothing to do with whether or not the incumbent says something bad or, the you know, like, that's just not, that's, that's not where the real action is. And, and those of us that get, like, really emotionally involved in where Ted Cruz is right now, you know, I'm I'm glad if that's what keeps you in the game, then cool. That you know, if that's your fix and that's what you need, that's fine. But like if it's if it's dragging you down or making you feel like, you know, all hope is lost and he's so awful, why is he he's still there? And and to Lyndon's point, he probably could get reelected if we flash forward four years and nothing else changed. Like that then don't you shouldn't you shouldn't be worried about that stuff you should be worried about whether or not you're like local orgs and the people on the ground like what are they doing who are you talking to about like who should run instead of ted cruz every time ted cruz does something wonky like or you know not great uh find out who's gonna run against him start talking about that person that's that's what'll matter like you know it it's totally correct lyndon does not matter one iota what what he did today. Well, and with that, we've reached the end of the podcast. Libby, thank you for coming back. Um, we're going to renew the tradition since the last time you were on the podcast, we did have a parting shot. What made you happy this week? Uh, you know, my mom also got the vaccine. Um, so she got her first shot, and I'm stoked about that. That means we're one shot closer to being able to hang out at grandma's house again. Yay. And are your kids Yay. happy to see grandma? Oh, they, we haven't seen her in a while because, um, Doug has to go in and out of his office. Um, so we're, we're trying to be extra careful. And so when he had to start going in and out of the office instead of working from home completely, um, we stopped seeing grandma. So they miss, they miss their grandparents a lot and um, are looking, but they know that at some point they'll be able to see them again. So, you know, that's, they're, they're, they're happy enough. They're, ha they're, they're making their way through, through COVID times like everybody else. Oh, excellent. And uh, Lyndon, what made you happy this week? It's nice to have Libby back. Yeah, I mean, the, nationally, the news isn't that great. And work, it's not really a season to close anything. So I have no idea, work-wise, the fruits of my labor yet. But, um, yeah, it's nice to, nice to have you back on the pod. That made me happy, too. Thank Yay. you for coming back on the pod, Libby. And uh, Yay. thank you for joining us. And uh, we shall be back next week with another episode. And uh, we hope to see you in the aftertimes.